going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as we record on this Tuesday afternoon, it's still a bit of a morning period for Dolphins fans. After a seven-game win streak, the magical run is over. The Dolphins losing to the Tennessee Titans in Nashville on Sunday, 34-3, to but not only losing the game, but being eliminated from postseason contention. So the Dolphins season ends this Sunday with the home game regular season finale against the New England Patriots. Uh, I know a lot of people after the postseason hopes officially ended are looking ahead to uh, the offseason and what's next for the Dolphins, what's next for Tua, what's next for Brian Flores and Chris Greer and a lot of other people. Uh, And we'll start that transition as well in this episode, obviously touching on some things with the game, uh, but also looking ahead. before we get started, I want to bring in this week's guest. I have Tim Reynolds, who's a uh, writer for the Associated Press based in Miami. Tim, how you doing? I'm good, Daniel. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you as well, and Happy New Year to, to all the listeners. So uh, we got to get right into it. Um, very deflating loss, a very disappointing <laughs> loss. I, I, I know Dolphins fans are just, like I said, the morning period is still, is still ongoing, but we, we got to dive into it. Uh, you know, I wrote it in my game story Sunday. The Dolphins really, they lost their footing in mo- mo- more ways, most, excuse me, more ways than one on a, on a cold, dreary, rainy day in Nashville. Um, just really everything that we've seen during the, the seven game win streak just, just really didn't carry over. And, um, you know, the, the margin for error was already slim with the team that had started one and seven and was kind of just, just, just holding on to those postseason hopes. And they just uh, quickly end and, um, I think one thing, you know, Tua is always a big uh, discussion <laughs> uh, discussion topic in Miami, but specifically after really probably his worst game of the season, you know, 18 for 38, uh, 205 yards, no touchdowns, an interception, lost a fumble, um, just not the accurate, decisive quarterback that we had come to see uh, over the second half of this season and during that win streak. Uh, and I And I have to kind of start with this question. How much of this loss is to blame uh, on Tua? I mean, a 31-point loss, you kind of blame everybody, right? I mean, I, 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 mean, I think we all knew those, those three games, like if you look at the last six, forget the whole winning streak, if you look at the last six games, Tua's first three starts after coming back, um, midway through, what was it, Thursday night game against Baltimore? Like his first three starts, I mean, he couldn't miss. Yeah. Historic completion numbers. And, yeah, he did have like a 73% game there a couple of weeks ago, but he just hasn't been the same guy since. Um, you know, you get hot, you get cold. He was really hot. I wouldn't say he's really cold now, but he's obviously leveled off quite a bit. Still completing 70% or whatever it is or close to it as passes for the season. Um I don't put this loss on Tua because you can't put a 31-point loss on on one guy. I think what we really saw last Sunday or a few days ago as we sit here taping this was, you know, in the winning streak. And, look, there's no easy wins in this league. Like, if you win a game in this league, you beat some dudes because every team has some dudes. But, you know, you could argue that six of those seven games you were getting, like, opponent light. You know, like Cam was coming back. 
Uh, the Texans were on like their 15th string quarterback. You know, they beat Lamar, but Lamar wasn't great that night. Short week travel for the for, for the Ravens in that game. There's a lot of things that broke their way. Nothing broke their way Sunday. You're playing a team in 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 conditions you're not used to, where they're playing for something. They knew they had a chance at the one seed. Then they, you know, now they're holding it. They got the break they needed. They got the help they needed from Cincinnati. You know, the road to the Super Bowl goes through Nashville now, Tennessee had everything to play for, and they were getting guys back, you could almost kind of see this one coming. So I, I think this goes far beyond one person or one play or one play caller or one this or one that. It just shows you how far the Dolphins are from being a team that can win the Super Bowl. The Tennessee Titans can win the Super Bowl. The Dolphins still have a lot of work to do to get to that level. Yeah, I agree that you can't put this loss solely on Tua, but I think that uh, it kind of, I, I think that throughout the seven game win streak, while there was improvement from Tua, there was improvement from the defense and the entire team. Um, the seven game win streak kind of masked some clear deficiencies. And then just to some extent it didn't, because we still pointed out that the offenses were limited and they were feasting on some inferior opponents, but to an extent, it kind of masked some, some clear deficiencies, especially with this offense. And as you said, you know, transitioning into this final well we thought it would be a three game final three game schedule where you know the saints the Ten- tennessee titans and the new england Patriots, where we really see what this team is about and the saints game ended up kind of being a wash because because of covid issues and being on their fourth quarterback it really really the true test was going to be in this tennessee game and, and while i think that there was kind of clear underperformance from each side of the ball every side of the ball including special teams this was a game where I think that uh, for the kind of the, the biggest two skeptics, you wanted to see him kind of elevate everyone around him. And I, I have even said that I think that Tua has performed well in spite of everything around him, especially the, the offensive line, the limited pass catchers. I thought that Tua had performed well in spite of it all. But this is a game where this is a, a big game where there's expectations now and, you know, we're expecting you to elevate your play and elevate others around you. You know, um, again, you're not going to put it on one person. The offensive line wasn't great. Um, you know, we've, we've seen, I, th- I think we've seen much worse performances from the offensive line than on Sunday. And, you know, I think two of the, the worst part about it was that again, what we saw improvement from during that win streak, we didn't see it on Sunday. He wasn't decisive. He, he was very inaccurate on, on throws that he's made time and time again. You know, we, we were, you know, gushing over the accuracy over the course of this win streak, but there were some routine throws. And again, maybe the, maybe the wind, maybe the rain played a factor, but there were just some throws that he just was not making that we've come to see him make uh, time and time again uh, in the second half of the season. So to use your line, like the margin for error for this team was real thin. I mean, you saw it with Tua too. I mean, the margin of confidence, you could almost call it. I mean, he clearly was thinking to him. I mean, they came out trying, they came out trying to move the ball down. I mean, they got away from it real quick. Yeah. You could tell that he was not particularly comfortable with the grip. I mean, he has that unusual grip anyway. You know, he has, you know, he uses, you know, a different, he explained it in that, in that hilarious Smith video. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't know that, that he uses a different grip. I mean, it, he uses what's comfortable for him. He was never comfortable in that, yeah. you know, whether it's he's thinking about, Oh my gosh, am I wearing the right cleat? Because it's a swamp out here. Can I hang on to the football? Uh, I'm looking at a front seven from Tennessee. That's really, really good. 
he wasn't the same guy. There wasn't, as the Canes fans would say, there wasn't that swag to him. It was like they were waiting for something bad to happen and then waiting, you know, something bad happened. Um, you know, it's been this chicken and egg argument all year, right? We've all written, we've all talked about to his completion numbers. Completion numbers are great, but the X plays weren't there. The X plays weren't there because clearly they don't feel like it's a go-to move for them. So the completion, they played it safe, safe, safe all year. It takes more than safe to beat the Titans. It's probably going to take more than safe if you want to finish nine and eight and beat the Patriots on Sunday. Because remember, the Patriots are still playing for something. And that's what makes Sunday. I, I, it's such a weird spot. I know we'll get more into it, but like, this might be it for Tua. I mean, let's not gloss over that. I mean, this is the last chance he's going to have to make a last impression before the talk about you-know-who in Houston is going to start again. Yeah. And he kind of already has. So, and this Patriots defense is legit. They're going to lead the league in points allowed for the second time in three years. I mean, this team is legit. And we always forgot that the Patriots were a really good defense when they had Brady because all we talked about was Brady. So, I, I, again, look, the, Tua has obvious limitations, but so does this team. Yeah. So does this offense. Um, you know, Will Fuller, you could argue that the season ended when whatever happened to his finger happened. I mean, they needed Will Fuller. You needed that. To complement what everything else that they had around. I mean, you can, yeah. stretch it and make, make defenses react. This team, to their credit, the most amazing part, when we really all go back and do the autopsies of the season, they won seven games in a row by not surprising anybody. Really? Yep. We're going to do this, 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 and this. We're going to chip, 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 chip away at you, and you aren't going to be able to stop it. They dared teams to do it. For two months, for two months, they were criticized for being a dink and dunk offense, and they won seven straight games, seven essentially goals. being a dink and dunk offense. Now, and it took away because we're always fascinated by the quarterback and the offense. It took away from how well that defense was playing. That defense grew up as Brian Flores teams do. We've seen it now three years in a row. And really, someone pointed out a stat that you know you could see it with his you know with his linebacking cores in New England. He just gets better as the year goes along. It's unfair that we're so fascinated down here with quarterback all the time, but that's the way of the world, right? I mean, that's yeah. That's just the way it is. I mean, we'd love to write more about inside linebackers, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's not that's not selling selling pages in exactly. clicks. It's a critical position, but it's not selling papers. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I think when it's all said and done, whether two is the quarterback in week one of twenty twenty two or not, he he's just never gotten a real opportunity and a real fair shake. And an offense that was good enough to let him be great. His ceiling with this group, as it's currently constructed, is good. That's his ceiling. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to judge him on the fact that he wasn't great, look, you can't win. You can't win a NASCAR title. You can't win a Formula One title if you're out there. You know, I don't know. You, you know where I'm going. Like you just what a bad pit crew, or <laughs> yeah. not going to win the whole thing. Okay, yeah. this team was good, but they weren't. They, they, this team had good parts, but they weren't great. They need so much more, and I think fairly or unfairly, they might get more in this offseason. They better, but it might not be too a reaping the benefits from.
Yeah, I mean, that's a perfect you know, segue into, into kind of the next portion of this discussion, which, um, you know, Tua really immediately after the Titans game, he got he got started getting the questions. You know, he was asked uh, this type of performance, you know, will bring out your biggest skeptics and ask and, you know, ask, do you deserve to be, you know, the long term answer in, in Miami? And he said, you know, I've kind of he had, he had a kind of interesting answer, you know, kind of said, hey, I've been doubted since I got here if people have had that view since I got here and I can just control what I can control but you know as this week progresses you know those questions will come up you know is this the last time he's going to play at Hard Rock Stadium play in a Dolphins uniform um and you know it's it's just so interesting you know we've been talking we've literally been talking to uh almost every episode this season every week some some form of Tua um and, and I do as the season kind of comes to an end, my first season covering the Dolphins and watching two up close, I do leave myself kind of thinking the same line as you. You know, I think that Tua has shown improvement. I think that he's won in spite of the limitations of this offense. And, you know, in a perfect world, I think that he would deserve another year to uh, to have an offense that's, you know, cater to him even more so an offensive line that can sustain their blocks for more than three seconds so Tua can actually throw the ball downfield the addition of another wide receiver that's not going to be injured and um <laughs> exactly um a legitimate running back you know we're, we're in week 17 of a muscling game and your top two running backs are mid-season pickups and that's no knock at Duke Johnson or Philip Lindsay who are very good players and great people but it's very telling that at this point of the season, your top two running backs are guys who were not in this this facility or this city two months ago. Um, and, and but but then again, this isn't a perfect world. You know, we have to we have to face facts and reality that the Dolphins did pursue a trade for Deshaun Watson in the first half of the season. Uh, the day after the trade deadline, the general manager, Chris Greer, without saying Watson's name, essentially defended his pursuit of Watson. And the fact that as of today, this remains an unresolved uh, issue, not from Watson's legal issues, but uh, from the Dolphins' pursuit pursuit of him. Um, so again, in a perfect world, I think that you would like to see another year under Tua, and you would say that Tua's earned another year. Because again, he, he just started his 20th game, I believe, or something like that. Um, Either or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still really, really young. And, you know, I think that, again, when we kind of if or when slash if we kind of do the autopsy of the Tua's time in Miami, if for some reason there isn't if there is an offseason move, I, I feel almost like we'll kind of look at his contemporaries or his counterparts in the draft, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, and the sex that they had in their first two seasons and say, you know, maybe maybe the Dolphins kind of got lost in the comparisons and, and lost in, you know, did they make the wrong move in taking two over, over Herbert? Because I, I think that while we all agree that Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert have definitely taken strides that Tua hasn't um, in, you know, their first two seasons, that's not to say that this team can't be successful with Tua, but at the end of the day, you know, the higher ups, may have already made the decision. I mean, people obviously, as soon as the game ended, people were saying, Oh, this is, this is it. They're getting Watson. And my kind of retort was, 
I mean, who's to say that they didn't already have their minds set up? I and mean, we all thought this was like an audition period for two in the second half of the season. But who's to say that, you know, these decisions or I guess their intentions are, are not already made up? Well, so I think, I mean, we, we all mentioned it, but I really hope fans understand the timing. Trade deadline was what, November 2nd or 3rd, right? Yeah. They were one and seven. Seven and oh started five days after the trade deadline passed. And yes, breaks started going their way, but it wasn't a coincidence. When they knew, okay, this is our team, this is our guy. And there were other guys, I'm sure, that were waiting to get moved or dumped or whatever the case was at the deadline. They were, I mean, a one and seven team will do that. Yeah. It already has an enormous amount of cap space potentially available to it in 2022 and had the potential of maybe, you know, open up some more. It all changed because there was security there. Okay, now, now, now we can just play. And they relaxed and just played. I am certain that it was weighing on Tua's mind at one and three, one and four, one and five, and one and six. I'm certain of it. I know he was hurt for some of that. Mm-hmm. Fair doesn't exist. Like you said, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. But like we call him injury prone. A, 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 I forgot who the guy was from Buffalo. He hit yeah. two. 206 miles an hour ribs are not going to live through that's on Tua. Tua yeah. never saw the man coming he's yeah i never put that on him i mean jesse davis whiffed on his block and knocked yeah put that on him man's a national champion the man played for nick saban you think nick saban's renowned for recruiting and playing guys who can't play or are, are we nuts we think he forgot how to play and i know it's different playing college and NFL. i get all that He's done nothing to lose the job. The Dolphins haven't done enough to help him get the job now or or to help him do the job that they asked him to do. It's like in the NBA, right? Like Sam Bowie wasn't a bust. Sam Bowie wasn't, it's not Sam Bowie's fault he got drafted before Michael Jordan. Blame the guy who picked him. (laughs) Kwame Brown, Kwame Brown wasn't a, blame the guys who drafted him. Eddie Curry, anybody you want to look at. You have to look, look, you were like, Five in 2008. I'm teasing, but really <laughs> close. Dad Pennington goes 11 and five that year for the Miami Dolphins. 11 and five as the starter. And by the way, just I'm telling this story. I hate putting records on quarterbacks. They're not starting pitchers. They're one of one of 53 guys playing that day. It's not fair, but for purpose of argument, let's do it because we all do it anyway. Chad Pennington went 11 and five that year with the Dolphins. They win the AFC East. I think he was comeback player of the year. I think it was that year. I think he got some MVP love even that year. Then he hurts the shoulder again the next year for like the third time and never won another game. Chad Pennington is the last Dolphins quarterback to start in more than eight wins in a season. They haven't had a guy win eight start, haven't had a guy win nine starts since. Every other team in the NFL has had one. A bunch of guys who played for the Dolphins have done it. Jay Cutler did it. Ryan Tannehill did it. Ryan Fitzpatrick did it. Just didn't do it for the Dolphins. At some point, you have to question. Like, at some point, the approach has to change. And something, a phrase you just used a minute ago where you're like, I hope they're, you said minds made up. If the Dolphins' minds are made up on Tua, and if they're made up that, okay, now they're getting Deshaun Watson, we're going to use half our cap space, assuming there's not a restructuring, which there will be, but play along. We're going to give up all of our flexibility or most of it to go get Deshaun Watson, hope the legal process works out and whatever. 
Why would they do that? Like, why would they be committed to Deshaun Watson right now? There's a dude in Seattle who's probably not going to be with the Seahawks next year. There's a dude in Green Bay who would be an interesting, <laughs> from a journalistic standpoint, and make our jobs a little, little more difficult next year. There's a dude in Green Bay who might not be in Green Bay next year. And a lot of teams are going to be looking for quarterbacks. So by, if you were all in on Deshaun Watson and didn't make the move in October when you could have, now the market for him's gone up. And now you've got other guys out there too. So I really hope that there isn't this, our minds are made up on Deshaun Watson thing. There are other quarterbacks out there. Mm-hmm. Did Deshaun Watson have elite numbers? Of course he did. The blowback, I don't, I truly don't think when Chris Greer talked to us that day, you know, I remember Ruthie Polinsky asked a question, Hal asked a question, I asked a question about, it. I can't remember if, I can't remember if you had or not. A lot of us asked about, the potential for blowback. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins were out front in, we're going to rid the locker room of bullying. They're out front in cancer research. They want to be this, this socially conscious organization. And in many ways they have been. The blowback in this town from female fans is going to be enormous if they do this with Deshaun Watson. So I hope they recognize that Tua is popular, just not popular on Twitter after losses. Tua has a family. It's just not fair to say this isn't the guy. Or yeah. at least acknowledge the fact that you didn't give him the tools he needs to be great. I don't want to get too much into the QB carousel um, because that's going to that's gonna be so crazy to, to watch unfold during the offseason. But I do, and, and, and real quick on the Rodgers-Wilson point, Wilson, I believe, has a no trade clause, and there's no, there's been no reports yet that he wants to come to Miami. Right. Same with Rodgers. Whereas with Watson, there was clear reporting that he would waive his no trade clause to Miami. So I guess that's the difference right now. You know, any look, it's still Miami. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's still Miami. You're right. And that's, I wish the Dolphins embraced that more. Like, I, I, we got a whole offseason talking about that stuff. Like, the Heat used Miami as a selling mm-hmm. point. The Florida Panthers are using Miami as the selling point. Derek Jeter is now using Miami as a selling point. Are the Dolphins using Miami as a selling point? Because it's, it's – as long as you're not, you know – I mean, I've lived I, – I, quick – man, I, I moved here in 2001. Yeah. I told my wife, five years. 21 years later, still here. We ain't leaving. Like, are you nuts? We're not leaving this. So you can use Miami as a selling point, which means if if anyone with a no trade clause was so inclined, they could easily find their way. That's fair. And, and with $75 million in projected cap space this offseason, I'm hoping that they're using Miami, the city, as a selling point. Well, let me ask you this, though. I know we don't want to carousel, but like my, I don't know anything about anything. It's why I'm not an NFL GM. But when you have a team that has so many needs, mm-hmm. like what are you going to do about Kaseki? What are you going to do about Durham Smythe? What are you going to do about the running game? What are you going to do about offensive line? What are you going to do about wide receivers? If two is not a enormous problem, which we can agree he isn't, aren't yep. they better of taking the money and using the money to build around build around Tua and see that, what? That's an interesting point, and and I guess my last question to you, just to play devil's advocate, is there's going to come a time where you know, three, four years down the line where the Dolphins, if this relationship, this marriage with Tua continues, they're going to pay him a lot of money 
to the point where they're going to have to kind of shortchange the rest of the roster. And I guess my question to you is, would you feel comfortable? Would you feel confident that Tua would elevate the rest of the roster? There's going to be a time there were there in this scenario, there will be a time three, four years where he's not going to have two top 10, top 15 cornerbacks in the NFL. He's not going to have two great pass rushers. He's not going to have two great young safety. He's not going to have, you know, he's not going to have all of those pieces and he might not have the greatest offensive line because they're paying him so much money. And I think that there are fair questions of, you know, I mean, I don't know if many people are saying like down the line, but you know, with a less than perfect roster, can he elevate even with his limitations, with his physical limitations, can he elevate not only the offense, but the entire team? Because the best quarterbacks in the NFL do that right now. And as we sit here today, the answer is no. But the answer is no because we don't really know. But you can't – in the same breath that we say we haven't seen him with the the firepower that other guys have, it's impossible. But at the same time, you play the cards you're dealt. And the cards that the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa are dealt right now is this. Like, we see the limitations. So – to ask to answer your question, the easy answer would be, well, I don't know. Let's see what happens. But the short answer is no. I would because we haven't seen it yet. And you there has to be a plan. I know that. You know that. Doll fans have to hope that Steve Ross and Chris Greer know that, or at least have, have the master plan. Or I kind of wonder too, and this is my, you know, much like you, I've been down here a long time. This is my first year covering the Dolphins on a regular basis. I don't think Dolphin fans care about 2023 or 24 or 25. They would, if you told them you can have a team that can win it all in 22 and then not win a game for five years, they're all going to be like, we're in, we're doing it. And then you know, they would back off and in 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27. They'd be like, oh, you made a deal with the devil. <laughs> no, but I, I just think most teams, Dolphins included, you have to be in that win now. Yeah. See, if you see a window to go get an elite talent, you do it. I understand what Chris Greer is saying on Deshaun when he was talking to us without saying his name, but we all know what he was talking about in November. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I just wish that approach – apply to other positions on the Miami Dolphins and not just the quarterback. No, definitely, definitely. And and like I said earlier, in a perfect world, I think Tua has earned the right for another season and for the organization to continue to build around him. But we don't live in a perfect world. So we'll one more thing about it. You've been there all year. I've been there. You know, it's the kid has answered every question in a first class way. He has, he has. I I took my hat to him though. He's he's been he mature and respectful with the entire situation. And you can just tell, like, the way people in the Dolphin organization talk about him. Like, yes, he knows when the cameras are on him. But a guy that talks about when his mom comes to town, he pulls up the hoodie and goes to win dixie Get flowers, yeah. I kind of like that, dude. I just kind of like story. There's a realness to him that makes, I mean, we can't as journalists and I don't think fans often realize this, like we can't root. We don't root for the team. Yeah. It's a different thing, but you want to see guys that you can just tell are good people do succeed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of where they are, what you're you're covering. Yeah. You want to see good people win essentially. That win Dixie story to me, like my, there's a lot of feel good stories on this team this year. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the whole Gusecki Smythe wearing each other's shirt sort of deal. Awesome. I like yeah. that. Um, to a telling the Win Dixie story to me, that was dope. I love yeah. That. No, he, I mean, he, he he really is a good guy. I know, you know, I know that a lot of times we just look at it through the prism of, you know, on the field performance, but, you know, at its core, he's a very, very likable guy. He's a very nice guy. Uh, and like you said, you do just generally root for those people to succeed. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. It's, it's going to be an eventful one, one way or another. Um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to start to transition to the offseason a little bit, start to talk about what's next for the Dolphins uh, as they kind of evaluate their 2021 season that came up short of a playoff appearance, as well as, uh, you know, slightly uh, preview, you know, a, a meaningless kind of meaningful game against the Patriots to close the season. Uh, we'll have that soon, so stay locked with us. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, everybody? I'm still here with Tim Reynolds uh, from the Associated Press. Um, and as we kind of transition into this week 18 regular season finale, it's kind of a meaningful, not really meaningful game. You know, obviously the Dolphins have been eliminated from postseason contention um, and the Patriots have clinched the playoff berth, still trying to win the AFC East. Um, so you have two teams on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, you know, I, I guess for the Dolphins, there is the opportunity to finish with the winning record. Um, and, you know, I just naturally with them being eliminated from postseason contention, you have a lot of people that are looking ahead to the offseason. Uh, the, the coaches and the players are, are not in that mood yet. So we, we spoke to a lot of the assistant coaches and the coordinators on Tuesday and all of them said, hey, the big picture evaluations will come right now. We're focused on, on winning a game against the Patriots. So, uh, you know, while I respect that and I understand that they won't focus on, on the future ahead, I will or we will. And. You know, it's going to be a really interesting offseason, obviously, for a lot of reasons, starting starting with Tua. But, um, you know, as I kind of step back and look at it big picture, you know, I had a, a fan pose a really interesting question to me today or yesterday, which was, you know, taking out the seven game losing streak and the seven game winning streak, kind of the roller coaster of it all. You know, is this season really the 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 disappointment that we're all kind of making it out to be? You know, most most kind of national, you know, betting odds had them at the over under at, at nine and a half wins. Uh, most kind of national projections had them as a fringe playoff team. Is this season really the disappointment that everyone wants to make of it? And I thought that was an interesting question because, you know, me being an outsider coming into this market, coming into this beat, I didn't know too much about the Dolphins. I didn't know too much about Tua, but the little that I had watched and um, just watching this, uh, you know, on paper, I thought that this was a team that 
wasn't necessarily a, in a playoff or bust situation. I, I thought that it was uh, a stepping stone year as opposed to a, like we must contend year. And though they, some people will say they kind of overachieved winning 10 games in, in 2020, I thought that this season was more about two as a whole. So I kind of viewed, entering the season, I viewed it as there was a scenario, a situation uh, um, where the team could maybe not, you know, match last last year's win total. I had them at 10 and seven. They're not going to get to 10 wins. Um, but I thought there was a situation where, uh, a scenario where they could get to nine wins um, and they could fall short of the playoffs. But you could feel good about the trajectory of the organization because Tua took a really big step. And, you know, you're kind of left in an interesting position heading into the final week of the season because while Tua missed some early early games in the season because of injury. Um, he came back. I'll give him his credit for playing really well um, and playing, you know, especially during portions of that seven game winning streak. Um, you know, he's improved, but the question is, you know, has he improved enough? And do you feel confident with the trajectory of the organization under Chris Greer and Brian Flores um, at this current moment? I think that's the big question. You know, there's no definitive answer to any of those questions because of the way that the season unfolded. What do you think about that? I'm, I'm with you. You know, I don't think there's anything definitive. I, I think it's all, I, I think between now and training camp or now in the draft or now, I mean, a lot of this is going to get made in March, April, May, June, July, August. It's going to be a series of coin flips, you know, for Chris Greer and Steve Ross and, you know, and Flo to make. I mean, it just, it just sounds like it's going it's all guesswork because you don't know. There is no definitive answer one way or another. Did Tua get that much better? You know, is the is Chris Greer and you know Chris Greer and Brian Flores, are they the dream team that the Miami Dolphins are going to need to get back to Super Bowl contention? Again, you know, we don't know. So it, it's a series of guesswork from, from here on out. And that's I mean, at some point, I mean, you're either just going to get lucky or you're not. I, I'll say this. I, I don't, I have not been through a draft cycle covering this team with Chris Greer. I've been on the outside looking in like everybody else. I don't know what they're going to end up doing. I don't know. I mean, I know I, I would think this is a very critical offseason for him. Yes. I'll say this. Brian Flores in 2019 had a team that was designed to tank. Started 0-7, I think and ended up five and 11. They went five and four down the stretch, if I have it right. Yeah. Last year, a team that had a rookie quarterback with major health questions and 206-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> love Fitz, um, not on paper, probably designed to win, wins 10 games. This year, with expectations, two gets hurt. You know, they win game one. Tua gets hurt in week two. It goes all to heck. One and seven, it doesn't fall apart. I guess this is my long-winded way of saying, yeah, I think Flo's the guy. Or at least a guy who can get you there. I mean, I, don't, I mean, is he the best coach in the NFL? No. But I think he's done more than enough. I mean, you don't keep locker rooms when they th – I mean, at one and seven, nobody thought they had a chance. Yeah. A chance in week 17 – there was no no one in their right mind 
after the Atlanta game, whichever one they lost to finish one and seven. You go to one. It was the, the Bills game. They the Bills game up there. That's right. Yeah. No one in their right mind would have said, you know, this team's going to play a game that matters in January. Yep. What? <laughs> so much credit to Flo. Flo is unquestionably a real, I mean, he can, I, I just, I was sold on Flo coming into the year and now I'm even more sold on from what I've seen, even after going eight and nine or nine and eight, whatever it's going to end up as. So, but the answer is we don't have answers on really anyone else. Flow, yes. Certain guys, yes. Yeah. Who would know? And at this point, I mean, we just I, I just feel as though change is coming. I, I don't know, you don't make change for the sake of making change, but Steve Ross is 81 years old and is hell-bent on seeing this team win. He has turned that stadium which was a nice stadium. I don't know if you were ever in it a few years ago, if you ever, if you ever came down here for anything. No. It was a nice stadium. That place is a palace. That's beautiful. That's the first yeah. thing I noticed when I was just like, it's great. Like, stadiums aren't particularly, oh my God, this place is great. Hard Rock is. like, And that's all him. That's half a billion dollars and how much <laughs> he wants to win. And then he rips it up for a tennis facility and then he rips that up for a Formula One. Formula oh, One, <laughs> all that construction. <laughs> Every parking lot's gone for the most part. I, I they have to get lucky, and that's not a good place to be when you're a professional sports franchise. The Patriots don't rely on luck; they need to hit some home runs this off season. They might need to hit a lot of them, and this is not a brain trust that has shown a propensity to have a, a big home run off season. So. Do we have some answers? Maybe, but I don't think we have the answers we need until. Yeah, you know, when when I look organiz like kind of the the entire organization, the the seven game win streak definitely salvaged a lot, and it I, I think it saved a lot of people's jobs. Um, you know, at one and seven, you were definitely talking about Flores being on the hot seat, Greer being on the hot seat. Obviously, the two uh, trade talks and whatnot. Um, but but I agree with you that I think that. You know, I, I never thought that the wheels were just going to completely fall off the wagon in the second half of the season just because of that, just because we knew that the schedule was going to was going to uh, lighten up. But I, I was impressed of by, by how, you know, together that group seemed. I mean, they there was no never any film reporting, never any leaks, never any people. You know, they the company line was a company line and you heard it every single week throughout the losing and throughout the winning. So I will give Flores a lot of credit for that. I, I do think that. And I, and a lot of I've seen a lot of fans voice this frustration uh, with Flores is that um, while you say that yeah you, you're definitely sold on Flores and you you know you got the one right one in Flores um, how much accountability does he take for I guess for in his third season essentially having three offensive coordinators was it is it three or four offensive line coaches in all three seasons just never never building a legitimate offense and he's in charge of the coaching staff. Um, I think those are fair questions. I don't think that, I don't think that he should lose his job over. I mean, there's people that are saying, Oh, fire him. Cause he can't build an offensive coaching staff. I don't know about that, but I think that there are fair questions in that regard. Um, he takes a lot of his cues, obviously from his mentor, 
the guy he spent 15 years working for, the NFL's version of how to do it. He is, you know, Bill Belichick is the blueprint of how to be a head coach and a CEO. Um, he would lose coaches every year, but never had the turnover like this. It, it is, it is definitely the one red flag is that the staff changes big time every year and probably will again this year, at least maybe not big time, but changes are coming. I mean, I go back to the first five, six weeks of the year. Nobody knew who was calling plays. Like, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It's not like we have to know that. I mean, we should, but it's not about us. It's not about media. It's, it's about the fan, the, the kind of the accountability of it all. There is an accountability to, to your fan base. And, and to you know, we're the one, we're the liaison between your fans and your team. I mean, you know, that's what we do. We mm-hmm. try to tell, we try to tell people what's going on that they don't see between one and four o'clock on Sunday afternoons. I mean, we try to tell them with context and try to tell the stories. And we, it, it, it's, it, it was just such a bizarre, for me, like a welcome to the Dolphins. Like, I don't know who's calling the, who literally is calling the plays here? Like, I just didn't know. And the way it was secret or the way it was, well, this guy calls him on first down. This guy calls him. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Yeah, but every week it was like you heard and you heard all you heard. Gatti might be doing it, or Charlie Fry might be doing it, or they both might be doing it. It's like every TV production meeting on Saturday got a different answer, and it was every game. And it was like, oh, you know, they told us that this guy's calling plays. I mean, you know, Barry was calling plays one week. <laughs> Barry would be an amazing play caller. Shout out to the <laughs> um, He needs you need con- continuity is the thing with everything. You know, and again, I brought up the heat again because, you know, I've been covering the heat for 20 years. But they're also kind of the gold standard for, I guess, for Miami sports. You know, I grew up a D-Wade fan and watching the organization. They're kind of the gold standard in Miami for how to run a sports sports organization. I mean, (laughs) I've covered them, like I said, 19 or 20 seasons. Can't remember which now. I've never covered a coaching search. Like, yeah, my first year was Pat. Pat decides eight days before the season, he walks into the office, decides eight days before the season opener and tells Stan Van Gundy, hey, you're ready. Then we all got called to a press conference that morning. Hey, Stan Van Gundy's our new coach. That coaching search took one second. And then Stan leaves and Pat comes back. And then Pat taps Spo on the shoulder. And that's it. Andy Ellisberg has been there since day one. Pat has been there 25, 26 years. Mickey has been the, you know, the managing general partner for as long as Pat's been there, a little bit longer, actually. Um, you have that continuity. And yes, they've had down years. They've had bad years. They went 15 and 67. Yeah. And Pat's last season, Pat's last act was 15 and 67, but it was with a purpose. They were tanking to get Derek Rose. They didn't they get did, Derek, did Derek Rose. Derek Rose. And the funny part is, is that had they gotten Derek Rose, they probably don't get LeBron James and Chris Paul. So it's things have a way of working out when you have a plan. Yeah. Um, flow. There, there has to be continuity. You can't keep reinventing it every year. Now, the flip side of that argument is people are going to hear that and say, dude, they went five and 11, 10 and six and eight, and nine or nine and eight. Why can't you keep reinventing it? Well, you just can't. Yeah. Let's have a plan, have a process, have a culture, that heat word and stick to it. I think Flo's done a remarkable job in a lot of areas but the revolving door of a staff, you don't want to keep starting over. You really don't. Yeah. And, and that's, that's it, it, again, this is all one of the 
206,000 things we have to get through in this offseason. What are they going to do from a big picture standpoint with the staff? Forget the roster. It's the staff. Too. Yeah, the the offensive staff is going to be really, really intriguing to to watch because, you know, I think that it seems like in every NFL city, the offensive coordinator is the most hated person in that city. Like I, I, I have never I haven't met a team where they like the offensive coordinator. Or they're like really satisfied with the offensive coordinator. Like Josh McDaniels in the <laughs> Yeah, they always got fans always got some beef with the coordinator, the offensive play caller. Um, so I do wonder if Flores kind of, you know, at the end of the season when he's kind of looking everything over, if he says, like, we do we really need this dual co-offensive coordinator system? Um, I, I do wonder if maybe he just kind of gives Gotti that full title. I do wonder if maybe he just says, hey, this didn't work. Because there, I mean, I think that I, I do think that fans are still a little irrational right now because of the loss. But there's a lot of fans that are saying, we don't even want, we don't want Godsey and Studesville. We don't, we, we don't want this co offensive coordinator. We want a new guy in the fold. Um, you know, I think that a lot of this will also probably be tied into what happens with the quarterback situation. Because if you're going to continue to build around Tua, you can't bring in another offensive coordinator. That's going to be his fourth offensive coordinator in three years. I do think that we might see a change at offensive line coach because the development with some of those young guys that they invested draft picks in, it was not up to the standard that anyone expected, um, you know, internally or externally. Um, so again, I do agree that there might be some, some changes. I don't, I I'd be really surprised to see an overhaul of that office of coaching staff. But again, I feel like it's almost kind of everything kind of starts with the quarterback. I mean, you know, again, if they don't want to get too much into it, but it's like, if they do take on Watson, that's like half of their cap space. That's already used up for, for this year. So now they have to, you know, they have to be creative in the other ways that they use their money. And then if they do do that, do they keep the current system? Do, you know, it's, it really does start with the quarterback. But again, that that offensive coaching staff, I mean, there's definitely there has to be changes to it because what we saw this this season, it's just it's it just not it's just I mean, you watch like you watch the Dolphins a lot, a lot of weeks. And then like I'd come back from Hard Rock Stadium and I watched the Sunday night game and we kind of like would make a running joke like, oh, this is what a legitimate NFL offense looks like, you know, so you just can't like you can't be content with 20 points per game and the regression that you saw after a 2020 season that was like actually kind of historically one of the best in recent Dolphins history. You have to ask yourself critically, like, okay, the, the bye week, every bye week in world history, a team has used the phrase self-scout. We have self-scout this week. And the Dolphins were one of the last teams to do it because they had the last, you know, then the Pats and two other teams had the latest spot. We got a chance to self-scout this week. You self-scout every week. I mean, that's what corrections are. Yeah. What did I all do wrong? What did we do wrong? What did this group do wrong? What did this do do wrong? Every play is graded. Like, they know where the weaknesses are. And if you think, when you look at it, and we don't have access to that data, we don't know how they, we don't know how they, you know, how they grade guys, how they rank guys, whatever. And man, we don't need it. But they see it. And if you think that this position group, I'm just going to say, I'll say the quarterbacks. I'll just make up the, just say it's the quarterbacks. There's only two, but, you know, we'll just say, all right, our quarterback play was this, but we think Tua and Jacoby were capable of this. Did we succeed or fail? Did they meet expectations or not? It's a real simple thing. 
if they didn't meet expectations, you make changes. Yeah. You just have to. It should be a very simple thing for Brian Forrest. Now, that said, you want to make changes with a purpose. If you're going to change somebody on, on either side of the ball, any part of the coaching staff, if you're deciding to change, I mean, well, nobody's, you know, special teams is untouchable as it should be, but I guess the, well, the point I'm, I got kind of got lost in my thought when I thought about Rizzi for a second, how he's going to outlast us all is sometimes good coaches get fired. You know, David Feely was the strength coach at UM under Manny Diaz. Miami's problems were not David Feely's fault. They just, they weren't. David Feely is great at what he does. David Feely got fired because Man, Manny, because Mario brought in his guy from Oregon. Yeah. It happens. It's a really small circle out there of guys that do this for a living. Guys who nobody goes to college and majors in offensive line coaching. It's a very small number of people that can coach offensive line at the NFL level. So you know who's out there. You know who you can get. Can I get this guy and how does he make us better? Great. I can get him. Okay. I'm going to make a change. If you're not going to get the guy you want, then demand more from the guy you have. But these things have to come very quickly and very decisively. Change for the sake of change isn't the answer. Yeah. I think I think I'm with you. I don't expect a massive overhaul. I, I really don't. But I think it's incumbent on the Dolphins to look at past decisions made in personnel and say, well, we goofed. We undervalued this guy. We overvalued this guy. Own it. Just own it and fix it. Don't try covering it up. The cover-up is always worse than the lie, they say. The cover-up, it's, it's the same way. It's worse than the mistake in personnel. If you screw up, own it, fix it, move a guy, trade a guy, cut a guy, whatever you're going to do, make it better. Because if it's not good enough to win this year, why believe it's good enough to win next year? Well, I guess to put that was after you could say the continuity of it all. You could say, you know, and a lot of fans do not want to hear this, but, you know, I, I just wrote a story about kind of defending the, the play calling in, in the game and saying that, you know, they 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 didn't set two up for failure by by not running and whatnot. Um, I think the coaching staff, specifically on offense, probably didn't get enough credit for i mean and again the the offense wasn't you know a world beater during the seven game win streak but in terms of you know working within their limitations working with their limitations i don't think the coaching staff maybe got enough credit for that i mean we kept on saying you know two is playing great waddle is you know great rookie receiver and all this stuff but i mean at the end of the day you know those coaches are game planning they're working hard as well to to devise ways that they can be successful on offense um knowing that they have a quarterback with limitations and an offensive line with limitations and not the greatest uh receivers and and, and i do think that you know Gatsi's students they're, they're not perfect but i i kind of was impressed with the way that they worked around the obvious limitations and the the improved play calling over the seven game win streak. I mean, nobody, nobody will argue that the play calling was definitely a lot better. There were seemed like there was a lot more purpose to what they were doing in the second half of the season. And during the win streak, again, will that will those seven game win streak, you know, will that kind of end up being the overarching kind of the way we, the, the higher ups of you or in Flores views this offense, probably not. Cause you got to take the whole body of work into account. But I did see, and I don't think, I think anyone saying not would be kind of disingenuous. I, I did kind of see improvement from the play calling as well. 
So let's put it this way. You're the new guy at there. You're the new guy on the staff. And if they said to you, Daniel, since you're the new guy, even though you're the Dolphins beat writer, we're not ever going to put you on the front and you can never write more than 200 words in any story. Like we need some room to be creative, right? Like we need space. We need tools. You need some time to write good stuff. And if you have something really good, we can't tell it in 200 words, you know, good stuff, 700 words, 900 words, 1200 words, whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes to tell a story, that's what you need. That's what you hope mother Harold gives you <laughs> because without that, you can't shine. Right. Yeah. I make, and, and anybody who's listening, like it's the same thing in your line of work. If your boss says to you, man, I got to restrict you because the person next to you isn't real good, whatever the case may be, the, the hardest thing in life to do is sacrifice your own numbers, whatever, however numbers are defined in your world, sacrifice, sacrifice your own numbers for the betterment of others. This coaching staff, is going to get judged by, well, you were 20th in this and 16th in this and 19th in this and 24th in this. It doesn't mean you were bad. You're right when you said that this that this staff made critical changes and, and they really did. They, It's not a sexy group. It's not a group that can point to, we had these great numbers. No, you didn't. Your numbers are largely average at best. And that's in your best categories, your average. Sacks are up there and stuff like that. But for the most part, you're average. But that was the approach needed to win seven in a row. These coaches, not just the players, sack. I mean, two is not throwing deep. Two has got what, 17? I don't know. Two is, two is not a 20-touchdown guy this year or a 25-touchdown guy. He's not a 4,000-yard guy. Everybody wants to be. He's not. And it, and it looks really good when you coach a guy who's got those numbers. You know, my offense was fifth in the NFL. Okay, great, whatever. Your offense, the Dolphins came up with a plan to win seven in a row and do it in a very boring way. That's not going to help these guys get jobs, but they did it. And they deserve credit for sacrificing. Their, coaches get judged by numbers just like players do. I loved the question from however you got it, an email or Twitter, whatever you got from the reader. If you take away the seven game winning streak and seven game losing streak, taking that, you know, take those, take those aside. Well, then what do we have? Yeah. We're talking about week one in New England and week 17 in Tennessee. All we had were the two streaks. <laughs> I think he meant the extre the extremes of it all, you know, the the fact that they were were so bad over the seven games and then were just world beaters in the seven game wins. They yeah. did what was required to win those seven games. And as we established a few times already on this pod, yes, they did not exactly beat the 72 Dolphins in, in that spin. I get it. Okay. I do. You can look at it glass half full, glass half empty, glass broken, whatever you want to look at it as. No, those were not seven really good teams that they beat. But the fact that they were willing to say and accept that this is the way we can win is dink and dump, dink and dump, dink and dump, dink and dump. And it's not going to look great on paper but it gives us the best chance of having being, being ahead in the scoreboard at the end of the game. The fact they were willing to do that, I do think they deserve a lot of credit because that doesn't get you paid. It doesn't get you a job going forward, but it got you wins. And that's true. That, that, that shouldn't be lost when we get into the wrap up of the season. No, I agree with you. 
as we kind of transition into this week 18 game, uh, you know, we, we spoke about it a little bit, um, you know, not not really nothing at uh, in play for postseason aspirations for the Dolphins who are already eliminated. Um, the Patriots clinched uh, playoff berth. They're trying to clinch the AFC East. Um, so the Dolphins and the Patriots will be playing at the same time as the, the Bills and the Jets on, on Sunday um, with that still up in the air. Um, you know, players and coaches are talking like it's the Super Bowl. You know, they're, they're trying to win this game. They're focused on this game and this game only. Um, you know, how much of this really matters? I mean, I asked Brian Flores on Monday, you know, is there any thought to play some of these young guys like Hunter Long or maybe Noah Ignogny who really haven't got a lot of playing time? Um, and, and Flores, you know, he didn't he didn't count it out. He said, hey, we have all these discussions as part of our normal kind of kind of game week preparation. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to make the decision that's in the best best interest of the team. And that sounds like I'm going to play all my starters. Um, should they? Does it really matter at this point? I think it does. I mean, you know, as as a wise NFL man once said, you play to win the game. That's true. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the impression. <laughs> you play to win the game. I, I think it does matter. I mean, number one, you're playing in front of your home fans. And and I do think, you know, there's a stark difference between dolphin, dolphin crowds and hurricane crowds. The dolphins, they're not like jammed to the rafters filled, but, you know, dolphin fans show up. And you got to respect that. And I think the Dolphins do. And I think Brian Flores will. And that's not a big factor. But I think it's something. You want to send your fans off with the best effort. And look, there's also a history. I mean, they were up there, I think, to end his first year. Fitz has them driving. Their drive is meaningless. Like, they're, they're 4-11 and or whatever they were. And, you know, they get the winning touchdown with, like, 25 seconds to go on a Fitz pass to somebody. I mean, that was a big deal going into that off season, then look what happened the next year. You go 10 and six. Like you have that good taste in your mouth to end the year. Uh, you go to Buffalo last year. You don't have a good taste in your mouth. Look what happened. Just start one and seven. I mean, it's not exact. It's not because of that, of course, yeah. but you want to end it the right way. So there's that you owe it to your fan base. Um, you know, the NFL is not for long, you know, I mean, there are no, truly guaranteed contracts are very few or not really guaranteed guaranteed guys are playing for jobs guys are playing for um their futures guys are playing to leave a good impression you know and there's also the competitor side um you know wouldn't you love the patriots i mean they're the patriots they're your rival i mean we always talk about the jets because it's the stinking jets down here but you know the patriots are the standard you can make sure they don't win the division you can make sure they're not – they have a chance to be the number one seed if things break their way this weekend. It's mm-hmm. a small chance, but still a chance. Um, you can deny them a lot of things. You can send them to Kansas City for a wild card game. You can help end their season. So you can – there's a lot for the Dolphins to look at from a competitive standpoint. But don't you want to walk off that field in the middle of January and say, we won one more game that mattered. We swept – the Patriots. We swept Bill Belichick. I think that means a lot. It should mean a lot to competitors. And if a, look, if a guy's injured or a guy has a nagging thing and they sit him, something happens in the secondary and they give Noah and they give Noah some run, fine. That's that's different. But if a guy just taps out this week and is already planning, you know, what time he's getting to Cancun on Tuesday, <laughs> do you want that guy? Like, what's that guy showing you? You get 
Yeah, I was just going to say, you get 16 chances a year to play this game. Now you get 17 chances a year to play this game. Doesn't have the same ring to it. (laughs) I hate odd numbers. You get very few chances to play this game. Like, I never played professional anything. I can tell you what my last game was. I can tell you what my last game in college was. Like, I can tell you who, I can tell you probably in order all the, all the end of, end of season games we played in high school. It matters. And it should matter to competitors. And if a guy taps out this week, then he's telling the Miami Dolphins, you don't want me because I ain't about winning. And I think Flo, you asked the question really smartly to Flo when you asked it at, at the start of the week. Flo didn't have a great answer because Flo hadn't, you know, Wednesday practice, Thursday practice hadn't happened yet. They're going to know who's in and who isn't. They'll know from Wednesday practice. They'll know who bought in and who didn't. And that'll tell Flo an awful lot about who to play on Sunday and who's a dude I want to count on in 22. Yeah, the players, you know, to their credit, and I will give them a lot of credit for sticking, you know, even after the disappointment of, of being eliminated, losing that game, they came back on Monday. The players we spoke to on Monday were solely focused on the Patriots. And, you know, Eric Rose said it. He said, I'm a competitor. Where you I mean, you got to be a competitor. Um, you know, you just for the simple fact of, you know, playing this game, you know, that being able to play a game that should that should uh, get you up uh, and, and ready to go so I, I do think that you know it will be interesting to say if see if maybe they do shut I mean it's a pretty healthy team uh, honestly uh, yeah, right now yeah. so uh there, there's not really I mean that's yeah, yeah I mean the past two weeks they haven't had anybody on the injury report so nothing nothing serious that would uh really kind of res- lead you to believe that they would maybe shut somebody down for the last game of the season so it will be interesting to see if maybe they do rotate some of those young guys or, or not I do think that they will, I mean, just because they, just because of the respect they have for, for Flores. And, you know, I think that it is a, a hardworking group, a competitive group. I, th- I do think that they won't kind of like just fall on their faces in the final game of the season. And I'm not going to lie, as we kind of shift into predictions, I think the Dolphins are going to kind of play the spoiler role uh, on Sunday. You know, I, I, I thought that I didn't think they were going to beat the Titans. But if they beat the Titans, I was like convinced they were going to go to the playoffs because I think that they match up really well against the Patriots. You know, obviously the Patriots can run the ball pretty well, uh, um, you know, with um, Ramondre Stevenson, Damon Harris, those guys that they have back there. But they're not uh, offense that's really going to test the Dolphins through the air. And for as well as the Titans ran the ball um, last Sunday, Tannehill was still able to make some throws, some key throws on third down off play action to test Xavier Howard and Byron Jones in a way that they have not been tested for the past two months of the year of the season. Um, That's the first time I think we said Tannehill, which is amazing. I'm so proud of us. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to rub it in Dolphins fans faces. It was a a bad Sunday that X got the best of you. Don't want to get, don't, don't want to rub it in. Um, but, but again, with Mac Jones, you know, he's improved as the season has gone on. I thought he actually played pretty well week one against Dolphins. I mean, that might've been one of his best games of the, of the year, really the way he handled that blitz, the way he handled that blitz. Um, but I do think that the Dolphins match up really well against the Patriots. Um, the Dolphins have historically in recent memory have a lot, have a lot of success at Hard Rock Stadium against New England. Um, and again, I think that just because Flores still has those guys dialed in, they have so much respect for him. They're competitors. I think they're going to go out and they're going to win the game. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be like a lot of games we've seen this year, pretty ugly, not a lot of scoring, but I think that they get the win. Uh, how about you? Uh, it's, 
you know, I know it's not radio, it's a podcast. It's bad radio for the host to agree. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have a funny feeling that they win the game as well, because the one thing I think that I've taken away from this year, other than, you know, having a real appreciation for, like, I didn't know if Flo, like, I didn't know how real Flo's level of boring was. And I don't say boring as an insult. I have great respect for it. Like he, he, he says what he means and he means what he says. And I have had a lot of fun listening to his answers this year. The Dolphins haven't been big fans of some of my questions, but you know, I've had a lot of fun listening to the answers. Um, I, I, I guess I learned a lot, but the one thing I did, the biggest takeaway I had was this team's got some showmen. You know, Christian Wilkins, like I remember him doing the split in the national championship game and the confetti and all that. Like we know he's an alarmingly athletic human being at his size. You think he's going to not show up this week? He's going to go through the motions this week. You think Tua isn't going to try everything? Like we haven't mentioned Jalen Waddle yet. Jalen Waddle has a chance for a thousand yards, mm-hmm. you know, 12 yards, I think he's 12 yards away. Yeah. One catch away from 100. Two catches away from tying Anquan Bolden's rookie right from breaking it. To play for. You know, Duke, we don't know. This is Duke's second start at his home stadium. We don't know if he's going to get a third. We don't know what it's what the, what the future is going to bring. I think a lot of guys are going to be up for this game. The Patriots are always just kind of here. They're just kind of never too high, never too low. I think the Dolphins get up for this game. I'm with you. The last three, the last three meetings of these teams, all very low scoring. None of them have had more than 34 combined points in them. Um, I think the odds makers were onto something. I think the number's 40 in this game. I don't pay much attention to that, but I think they know it's not going to be a shootout. I do think Mac Jones can have a tough time getting a lot. I think he'll manage the game well. I just really would love to see nothing more than like a 16-13 game. The Dolphins need 75 yards and two and a half to go, and they're not they're not playing for a tie. Like I give me two a one drive and end the year right. I say Dolphins 2016 on a late touchdown. I like that. That that that, that that's a really good point. That while they're not might not be any be any big picture postseason aspirations to play for anymore. I mean there's a lot of kind of small little storylines for, for Dolphins players and, and even Tua, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into, Oh, is this his final game, all that stuff, but you know, that that crowd, you know, it just being, it being the final game of the season, you know, that, I mean, Tua's had some, he's got some really great support from the home crowd this season. I mean, they're, I can remember the, the Baltimore game where they're like, chanting his name as he's going in. It's like Kobe said, he's like holding his knee and they're chanting Tua, like go in the game. Um, and, and even on some other home games where they're just, they've been so behind him. And I know that they're going to support him. They're going to support the team. And, you know, I, I got to give the Dolphins credit for even making anything of this season after one and seven. And, you know, it's been, it was extremely disappointing. They provided some great moments during the winning streak. It did come short of the playoffs. But like you said, it would be nice for them to kind of give the home crowd that one last hurrah, you know, after a tough season of supporting us, get you a, a nice divisional win against a, against a hated rival. That, that would be a nice moment. 
Plus the game being at 425 instead of one o'clock, I think for the first, oh, there was a Thursday night game, but the first Sunday late game all year gives the fans a little more time to hydrate <laughs> beforehand. You know what I mean? I, I think Dolphin, Dolphin fans have been great. Like again, that building has been phenomenal. And every time they they were in that building all year once with a winning record, one and zero against Buffalo. And yeah, the life kind of got taken out of the building a little bit that day, pretty early. But they showed up at one and three, one and five, whatever they were. They've showed up all year, and that has really impressed me about Dolphin fans. Um, they've chanted to his name coming off the coming off the field three or four times. Um, there was a game. I'd actually stayed in the press box. I was having trouble getting the story in. I'd stayed in the press box and watch, I was watching post game from the box. You guys are down in the interview room talking to Tua and Flo and all those guys. Tua gets done with the podium with you guys. Walks back out. He has a cell phone. He's calling somebody. He's talking to somebody. He's out on the field for a minute. And in this empty stadium, all you hear is a guy from up top who's still up there yelling, Tua, you the man. And Tua looked and pointed, pointed at the guy. Like, in a Stadium. It was such a cool, like, just you know, right place, right time that I got to see it. Fans love him. People on nobody on Twitter goes on to talk about how great stuff is. One hundred percent of Twitter is negative. Yeah, Twitter is not a correct depiction of how things are going. Now I will I will prepare you for this. It ain't going to be sixty five thousand Dolphin fans in there. Patriot fans travel to Miami. And if you've seen the weather in New England this weekend, they're all coming to Miami. Yeah. So it'll be a little less dolphin friendly than usual, but it'll still be filled. It'll be a great atmosphere. Um, I, I, I'm I'm with you on on, on the fans, and, and they they really do. They have. I can't imagine there's an NFL team that doesn't have great fans, but the Dolphins do. The Dolphins. No, they do. They do. You know, as the as the first season of you know me being on this beat comes to a conclusion um you know with this week 18 game you know i i will say one thing about dolphins fans they 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 ride for their team they've been through a lot come to learn about it learning the history of this organization and then this team they've been through a lot um but they've really supported not only that quarterback but that entire team um so again it, it would be really nice and a really great moment for the dolphins to kind of send the year you know end the year on the right note you know it might not mean much in the grand scheme of things but uh i think that the the fans would definitely appreciate a, a hard effort and a and a hard-earned win no question you don't want you don't want what last i think that's gonna be the biggest selling point for flow this week don't put up tape of week one don't put up film of last week don't put up just show them the scoreboard in buffalo show them 56 26 i'd have the, i'd have that on the scoreboard in the practice facility all week don't let that happen again. Don't. Yes, it was up there and not on your home field, but do you want to really end it that way? I can't tell you who they played the, in, in the next to last game last year. I, I know what happened in the last game. 56-26 happened in the last game, and it was it was worse than that. It was worse than 56-26. Don't let that happen. I don't think they will, and you don't either. I don't. I do not. I think they find a way. I think they get it done. And I also, and Flo will never, ever say it, and I'm sure there's enormous respect. But, yeah, does he want to beat the Patriots? Hell, yes, he does. Of course, of course. I will say it, but does it mean a little bit extra? No, they all mean the same. No, they don't. They all count the same in standings, but there is a human factor. 
he is, there are rumors, I have not confirmed it, there are rumors that deep down, when you get that vest off the man on Sunday afternoon on sideline, there is a human being in there. Of course, it's going to mean a little extra to him. And his guys have shown, his players have shown, they showed it at one and seven, that they will lay it on the line for that head coach. Yep. They know this game means a little bit more. Lots lot to play for, lots to play for. <laughs> maybe not in the standings, maybe not in the postseason, but a lot to play for. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm going to enjoy it. You know, I just finished my last uh, last road trip, you know, for the season in Nashville. Got to kind of soak it in. Um, you know, really excited for this final home game of the season, final game of the season. Um, and but that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. Might be the last one of the regular season, but we're gonna we're gonna keep the train going during the off season. Uh, I want to thank Tim for joining me for uh, for an extended talk on all things Dolphins. Um, it's it's been great. Like I, I've been saying it to everybody that I bring on. It's been great to to know, to meet you guys, to know you guys, to kind of to work with you guys in the same uh, practice uh, facility or practice. Uh, media room well uh, that is until you know we got kicked out because of covid protocols but now virtually it's been great to work with you guys so yeah yeah um but to the listeners uh you know i hope you guys have a happy new year i hope you enjoy the game this weekend and we'll be back next week might be the end of the 2021 season but we'll be back next week to recap another weekend of dolphins football until then you guys take care bye